Uh, my name is Chad Kinser, and I serve as, uh, as our downtown congregational lead pastor and a uh, privilege to share, share God's word with you today. If you have a Bible, go up into Luke chapter 1. We'll be there in just a second. We are uh, tracking through our Advent series leading up to Christmas Eve, sort of this series that's uh, taking us through the Christmas story through the first two chapters of the book of Luke. We opened up there last week. This is the most famous, most popular section of Scripture when you think about the Christmas story. Uh, we mentioned last week, this is what Charlie Brown reads. Uh, and so uh, we thought we would kind of track through it and apply it to the Christian life uh, more than just a cartoon, right? Uh, so this is what's happening in the first two chapters of the book of Luke. Last week, we started by talking about the Annunciation or that moment in Scripture where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, shows up, lets her know that she's going to bear, uh, bear Jesus in terms of mother of our Lord, and she just kind of hears this big birth announcement. And we talked about the Annunciation last week. And then this week, we're picking up right where we left off and moving into the Magnificat, or what's known as the song that Mary sings when she begins to understand it clicks for her in her mind and her heart. This really is happening. I'm not making this up. This is unbelievable. So she busts out into a song, and that's where our passage is going to land today. So we're going to be looking at uh, verses 46 through 56 of Luke chapter 1, and I want to begin our time by backing up to verse 39 to get a running start into all of that, and uh, we'll, we'll begin our time reading there. I'll pray, and we'll jump in. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me, and uh, we'll begin again by reading, starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. The voice of Jesus speaks to us like this. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah greeting, uh, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby uh, in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. And for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, his, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained there with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we invite you now to, uh, to teach us from your word. Holy Spirit, would you point us to Jesus? Father God, would you glorify your son in our midst today as we consider his coming, as we consider that our souls with Mary in this song would magnify in the Lord. We rejoice in God, our Savior. Jesus, shape us as your people. Shape us as your church. Arrest our minds. Perk up our hearts. Have our affections. Redeem our imagination as we read this story. We pray in Jesus' strong name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, this is a singing time of year, isn't it? 
This is a singing time of year. There is music absolutely everywhere. You can't go anywhere without hearing the music of Christmas. So it's, it's at the mall, right? All over the place at the mall. It's at grocery stores. It's at restaurants. It's in restrooms at restaurants. It's in doctor's offices. It's at Walgreens. It's at CVS. It's literally everywhere you go. This year and this time of year is a season unlike any other where this season and the holiday of this season literally gets a genre of its own music, Right? Uh, and it should be that way. And so some of you hear that and you love Christmas music. You're the kind of people who you had that stuff fired up before Halloween, you know? Uh, you're the kind of people who, I love this. I love you're talking about Christmas music. There's a guy here on staff. His name is Rex Barrett. And uh, he loves Christmas music. I started here in July at Frontline and I was here on staff a month and I walked by his office in the middle of August and I hear Christmas music playing. And I stopped by his office and I go, is that what I think it is? And he goes, with big side, you know, big quarter size eyes. He goes, you bet it is. And I've been holding off. Uh, I wanted to have this stuff fired up months ago. Uh, and so some of you hear Christmas music and you absolutely love it, right? And so wherever you are on the continuum of Christmas music, whether you're the kind of person who has it fired up at Labor Day or you're the kind of person who doesn't even play it on Christmas Day, there's all over the map people who, how they feel about Christmas music. You can agree that this season, because of what we're celebrating, really does deserve its own genre of music, right? And Why? Why? Because we're a singing people. However you feel about Christmas music, we are a singing people. That's kind of what's normative and what's woven into the fabric of the human experience. Even the person who says, I never sing, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Think about national anthems. Think about birthday parties. Think about those songs that begin to kind of catch your heart and your mind and that kind of are catchy, uh, that catch you in the shower. And all of a sudden you find yourself without even thinking singing in the shower, right? Or think about those other songs in your life that all of us have them where you hear a song on the radio, you hear a song that's being played somewhere and it takes you back to a different time in your life. You have a couple of songs that just really represent a certain time of your life. They take you back there and all of a sudden you find yourself without even thinking, singing these songs. We are a singing people. Singing is kind of a way we express ourselves. It's a way we kind of, we express what means most to us. It's a way that we celebrate things. It's a way that we, it's a way that we get down to the bottom of what we love most. This is singing. We're a singing people. And this is most true when it comes even to our songs back to God, right? When the songs that we sing back to God, all it is is it's a way in which our hearts are trying to find a way to get back to God the gratitude we feel for the way he's shown his love to us and the way that he's made himself known. The the good and the right response to the goodness of God being understood is to sing. Like That's the good, right, normative response, what all of us actually want to do when we understand the forgiveness and the goodness of God. And so when it comes down to our passage today in Luke chapter 1, this is exactly what Mary is doing. She begins to sing. This is the first Christmas carol. This is, I would say, even the best Christmas carol. This is the first Christmas song when Mary begins to understand that God really is bringing his son into the world and she's going to carry him through her womb. She busts out into song. This is what she does. But, But there's a process for her getting there. Because initially, if you remember last week in the passage we read, we didn't get to it much last week, but when the angel Gabriel shows up to her and announces to her all that's going to happen. In the passage last week, she actually questions the angel two different times. She's not real sure that that she's hearing this rightly or how this is going to happen. She says, how's this going to happen? I'm just a virgin. Like she, she even, uh, before that, it says she's trying to discern what kind of greeting this is. She, in some ways, it almost reads as though she's, am I making this up? Is this really happening? Is this really going on? And even when she submits to the message the angel gives to her, she responds with what sounds like a noble response in scripture. Let it be, me, let it be to me according to your word. But you really read that out. And what she's saying is, 
I don't know, Gabriel, if you say so, uh, who am I to to argue, right? That's kind of what she's getting at. And so what she does, where our passage picked up today, what she does is as soon as she receives this news, she goes as fast as she can to her cousin Elizabeth's house to try to confirm the word of the Lord. And I love that she does this. In fact, it's what you ought to do. If you hear something from the Lord, you're like, am I making this up? Hey, run to your community. This is exactly what she does. And I love that she does this. I thought this this week because this makes the story so much more relatable in ways. It's true, but it's so relatable this way because I think without thinking sometimes, you can kind of take up a Catholic view of Mary that she was perfect and she did nothing wrong. And when you read that, how she responds, it's just not true at all right? Like she is a teenage girl who just had the Holy Spirit show up to her and say, the son of God is going to be coming into your womb. She is sufficiently freaked out, right? I think it's safe to say that. And so what she does, she goes, am I making this up? Is this all in my head? She runs to her cousin's house. And this is where the text picks up in 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And blesses the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so this is a, must have been a bizarre moment. Mary runs to Elizabeth to confirm, is this, is this true, what I have just experienced? But she gets there, and she doesn't even have time to explain what happened to her because uh, Elizabeth's having a whole wild moment, being filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, the baby in her womb, jumping for joy at the presence of his Lord, his Savior. And then all of a sudden, she tells Mary, there's something going on with you because there's something going on with me. And Mary in that moment goes, oh my gosh, there's something going on. And it all begins to click for everybody in the room. This is really happening. We're not making this up. God really is coming. This must have been a completely bizarre moment, right? And as I read this this week, I thought, man, this is, if there was ever a text in the Bible that was the complete spoiler alert for the song, Mary, Did You Know? It's this text. You can't ever listen to that song and enjoy it again if you read this passage because you're going, she absolutely knew. She couldn't have been more clear. She knew what was going on. Mary knew. That song is crazy, right? <laughs> and so she does exactly what you, what you ought to do, what anyone does, what all of us do when it begins to click who God is and what he's doing in the world, what he's doing in your life. Like if you were her. And it all began to settle. You're not making this up. That whole angel moment wasn't just a bad burrito last night. It was really an angel. When all begins to settle, what would you do? What would you do? It's the thing you ought to do. When you're so stirred with the love of God, so stirred with the fact that he's made himself known to you, and he's actually doing what he said he's going to do, you sing. After you kind of pull yourself together and your emotions kind of sure up a little bit to get clear thoughts, you begin to sing. And this is what she does. This is the first Christmas carol. This is what we're spending the rest of our, our time together this morning in verses 46 through 56. And there's two things I want us to see from Mary's song. The first is she sings about who God is. She sings of who God is. And the second thing is she sings about who God helps, who God is and who God helps. Look back at verse 49. She starts to sing in about who God is. She says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So do you hear what she's saying? She's singing of the character of God. She says, he who is mighty, she sings of the power of God. She says, his name is holy. She sings of the holiness of God. We talked a little bit about that last week. 
And then she sings of the mercy of God. She says, God is merciful and his mercy is for those who fear him. She sings of God's character. Okay, so I know as I mentioned God's character at the start of this sermon, there's already a variety of different responses present within the room. Because some of you hear the start of a sermon this way, and you're going, okay, God's character. So there's some of you already who you hear this, and maybe you just got saved, or maybe you just experienced God in a fresh way. So you hear, we're talking about God's character. And some of you in the room, you hear this, and you're already leaning forward to go, I want to hear more. Tell me more about who this God is. I need to know more of his character. Can you, can you move on, right? There's others of you, though. When you hear something of God's character, you've been saved for a while. You're more familiar with these sort of things. And so you hear something of God's character, and maybe you're sitting there, sitting back in your chair, tuning out a little bit, saying, yeah, I've heard that before. Get out into the part of the sermon where I can hear something new. Teach me something fresh. Teach me something new today. There's others of you in the room, and when you hear about God's character, we're talking about that. You're the person that's got the notebook open and pen in hand. You're ready to take notes because you want something applied to your life. So you hear character of God, and you think, no, I'll just wait to the part of the sermon. I'll endure this to get to that part of the sermon where it's really life application-oriented because this character of God stuff is out there, ethereal, and I need something that really applies to my life right now. And then I think there's a fourth category of people, and you're, you're sort of a non-Christian. You're here today. You're checking all this out, and you're just trying to figure out if you believe any of this along with us. But wherever you are, across the spectrum of maybe hearing about God's character, holy, powerful, merciful, wherever you are, there's something here for every single one of us in the room when you consider where Mary is and what she's doing when she begins to sing the song this way. Remember, she was a poor teenage girl who just now had her world rocked. She's a, she's a teenage girl who just had her, complete, her future completely interrupted. Everywhere that she thought her life was headed has now been completely overturned. Her life is going to turn out to look nothing like she thought it would. Her world has been rocked and she begins to sing this song. She, she's, she's now unexpectedly pregnant with the son of God. It's pretty crazy. Beyond that, she's about to face the public shame of her Jewish community because she was pregnant outside of wedlock. Outside of that, she's now waiting to hear back from her fiancé to see how he's going to respond to any of this, to to figure out how bad the public shame is just going to be, to see if he believes any of what she's saying and he'll stay with her. She just had her world rocked. She's in the middle of a whirlwind of uncertainty and in the middle of not knowing what's going to happen next, the first thing that Mary does is she breaks out into a song when she understands, and the first thing she sings about is the character of God. That's the anchor for her soul. That's the ballast that's driving down deep, that's holding her in the midst of all that she has no idea of what's about to happen. The character of God, she sings. She doesn't know what's going to happen next, but she knows her God is holy, and he's pure in goodness. She has no idea where her future is headed, but she knows her God is powerful and that nothing is too hard for him and and no request is above him. She has no idea what's coming next, but she knows her God is merciful and he never fails to do good to his own people. And so she sings of this. And so I mention this today because I know the variety of places we are with God's character, but I also know the variety of places we are in our actual lives. As I was praying this week and thinking through where this passage, where this song is going to hit us, I started thinking through the fact that, man, I know life is hard. And when in this room we find ourselves in a variety of places, there are struggling marriages. 
and you're wondering where to turn. For some of you there, my wife and I have walked through this and, and I know it's painful. There are miscarriages present here in the room and there's mourning over that. There's children in the, in the NICU. There's unexpected job loss. And this season comes with a whirlwind of, hey, let's celebrate. But you're also like, here's real life that's happening. There's some of you that have untold wounds of things that have happened to you. And you have no idea who you can tell, if you can tell. And you have no idea where to turn. And so I think about the character of God here, right? Like, I'm not suggesting that over any of those things that you just start singing the character of God and things magically get better. That didn't for Mary. Or start singing the character of God and things or the pain is immediately healed up. That's not what happened for Mary. But I am saying just like the character of God held true and held strong for Mary to anchor her in the midst of this crazy next nine months of her life when she sang this song. So too will the character of God hold strong, stand strong for you as an anchor of hope no matter where you're walking today. It absolutely will. The character of God immediately applies to anything you're walking in. So as I was thinking through this Psalm 59, verse 9, a verse I've been rehearsing in my own soul and life lately came to my mind. It says, oh, my strength, I will watch for you, for you are my refuge. And then it says in verse 10, it says that God in his steadfast love will meet me. So wherever you're walking, I love that passage. God in his steadfast love will meet you. I don't know when he's going to show up, but he will show up. He always does for his people. And I'll watch for you. In Psalm 56, verse 9, this I know, wherever you're walking in, this I know, God is for me. This I know, God is for me. And so Mary, she sings of the character of God. You too hold to the character of God. Holy, powerful merciful, whatever you're walking in. But it's not just an anchor for our soul. It's also true if we pan out from our own lives for a second. The character of God is what makes Christmas possible. Think about this for a second. Without any one of these three things, holy, powerful, or merciful, without any one of those three, Christmas is not possible. Here's what I mean. So God is holy. That means that sin has to be dealt with. Because of the wickedness in this world and the wickedness even in our own hearts, sin has to be dealt with. God will not be mocked and sin will not be overlooked. He's holy. But if he's only holy and powerful, then he's holy. He can see that something needs to be done. He's powerful. He can actually do it. But without mercy, who knows what he'll do because all that you and I are owed is judgment. But if he's only powerful and merciful, then he can do something that needs to be done. He's powerful. He's merciful. He has the desire to do something good and loving, but it will lack any ultimate authority because he has no holiness. But if he's holy and merciful only without power, then he can see that something needs to be done. He'll have the desire with mercy to do something good, but he'll lack the ability without power to actually carry it out. But yet you come to this passage And our God is comprehensive in his character. So now Christmas is on the table, right? He's holy. He's something that sees something needs to be done. Sin has to be dealt with. But he's also powerful. He can carry out a just sentence. But he's also merciful. So the sentence to be carried out doesn't fall on those who are guilty, you and me. It actually falls on the life of another, the one who Mary is carrying in her womb. That's the gospel. 
his character comes together and makes Christmas possible, makes the deliverance of a savior possible unto us. He's holy, he's powerful, but he's also merciful in the midst of all of it. Your sin is atoned for, not on your head, but the head of the one who comes through Mary's womb, if you believe. And so she sings first of who God is. And she moves in her song. And what's sprinkled throughout the rest of her song is actually a celebration of who gets helped by this God. So here's who this God is, but who does he help? What kind of people does he help? And this is what's littered the rest of her song. And so I, I could go through it line by line, but that'd be a bit confusing because she goes in and out of these different themes. But four different times in the rest of this song, she sings of the lowly. She sings of the humble and how God treats them. And then three different times, she contrasts that with the proud or the rich and how God treats them. And it's not so much that she's talking about the, the economically rich or the financially rich, although it's part of that. Money itself isn't evil, right? But, but it's those who seek an abundance of life apart from God. That's who she's talking about with rich. So she mentions the lowly four times. She mentions the proud three different times. And here's how she contrasts God's response to them. I think it'll be on the screen behind me. So in verse 48, about the lowly or the humble, she says that he looks on the humble. God looks. In verse 52, she sings that God exalts the humble. In verse 53, she says that God fills the hungry with good things. And in verse 54, she sings that God helps his servant, helps those who humbly seek to serve him. And then on the contrast, she talks about the proud or the rich. So 51, she says that he scatters the proud. He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In 52, she sings that God brings down, he brings low the mighty, those who think they have life and strength on their own. And then 53, she sings that God sends away the rich empty. He sends them away empty. So when you look at this song, Mary is saying that God helps a certain kind of people and he dismisses, he's opposed to another kind of people. His response to the humble and to the proud are two very different responses. So we'll say it this way. Even though God is high and exalted, he doesn't exalt the things this world exalts. Even though God is powerful, he doesn't acknowledge as powerful the things this world says are powerful. And even though our God is a God full of abundance and life and wealth, he doesn't play partiality to the rich. He doesn't do it. And so you and I hear that. And here's what I found interesting, at least in my own heart. You and I hear that, and on a sentimental sort of humanitarian level, we love that. We love that God serves the poor. He's, he, he looks on the humble. He's after the lowly. He cares for them. We love that on a humanitarian level. We love that on an emotional level. But the problem comes with the fact that our culture, our world around us, is constantly shouting to us a different kind of message, isn't it? The world around us is constantly preaching to us a message of self-help, of self-improvement, of independence, of, hey, you pull your life together, you work hard to build your own wealth and power and platform. That's the message of the culture around us. And so you and I, right, we we love what God is saying here. We love what God is doing here and caring for the, the lowly and the humble. But there's a gap in our hearts. Though we love this, the reality is, I think if we're honest, Culture has actually affected us more than we want to admit because what you and I do, though we love this, we spend most of our lives trying to, trying to avoid being the kind of people that Mary's singing about God helping in this passage. 
right? We seek to avoid being lowly. No one wants to be that. We seek to avoid being humble, or at least we want to be in our hearts, but we want to be seen as strong and as out there and as able as people around us. We seek to avoid these kind of things, people around. We want to be proud and rich and strong and mighty. We want to avoid this, although we want to say in our hearts and sentiment, we love that God does that. It's almost as if what we want is we want to have Mary's song as sort of a reminder that's plastered there on our refrigerator that helps us feel better when everything else we've tried to do in life fails. We know, oh yeah, God might still help me, right? And so here's the thing. If you and I miss the dynamic of all the Bible, that God cares for the humble and he's opposed to the proud, if we miss that, then you actually miss the entire Christian message and you miss the wonder of Jesus. So to be a Christian and to be a proud person is impossible. You can't do it. The two don't hold together. They're juxtaposed. They're oxymorons. You can't hold the two. So to be genuinely Christian or to be genuinely proud means you're going to be walking away from one or the other. The two can't coexist. They they, they don't go together. And so this passage is really clear. God doesn't work with people who come to him with an I've got what it takes attitude. That's really sobering. God doesn't work with people who come to him. Mary is singing this. This is her whole life. God doesn't work with people who come to him with an I've got what it takes mentality. Instead, the people whom God is moving toward are those who have no use anymore for their own solutions. The people who God moves toward are those who have no use anymore to prove themselves or to explain themselves. They just own, I need help. The people whom God is moving toward throughout history, throughout scripture, and even your own personal experience, the people whom God is moving toward are those who come to him and say, unless you move, I've got nothing. And so this is the reality of the kingdom of God. This is the reality of Mary's song. And what's so crazy is it's the exact opposite of how you and I typically feel in our experience, isn't it? So typically, here, here's why you and I avoid being needy and dependent and humble because in those moments, we feel helpless and we feel ashamed. We don't feel like that's a state of God's blessing. So typically, here's what our feelings tell us. When life is going well, when you feel strong, when things are going how you want them to and, and it seems like blessing is lining up for you and all things are positive, you typically feel in those moments like God is treating you or he must be treating you the way he says in the passage he treats the lowly. When things are going well, it feels like God is looking at me. God is exalting me. God is filling me. God is helping me. And on the flip side, when things are going poorly in life, when you feel like you're under the weight of mourning and you're under the weight of weakness and need and you don't know where things are coming, you feel like God is treating you like the passage says he's treating the proud. You feel like God is treating you like he's scattering you, like he's bringing you down and like he's he's sending you away. And so our feelings lie to us oftentimes, right? Like here's what this passage is telling us. God's word determines truth. The reality of the kingdom of God is that God's word determines truth, not your feelings. Not your feelings. Your feelings come and go. Your feelings rise and fall, but God's word determines truth for us. It remains the same forever. And so if you're coming in today and you're under the weight of going, I'm so desperate for God to move. 
If you're coming in today and you're like, I've got nothing if he doesn't show up in this area of my life, but it feels like you're getting nothing. What this passage and what Mary's song is trying to tell you is don't let your feelings lie to you and tell you that God is overlooking you. He's not. Because those who are humble, those who are lowly of heart, those who are coming to God saying, if without you, I've got nothing. Listen to how this passage says God treats you. He looks on you. He exalts you. He fills you and he helps you. That's what's true about the lowly, not the opposite. And for those who are walking with a swagger, feeling like you're above the need for a lowly heart before God, for those of you who are walking in that way, don't be deceived by the peace and the ease and the comfort of your life. Because peace found apart from God never lasts. It never lasts. And so though it feels like you're mighty and you're being built up and you're finding all of life the way you want it apart from God, the passage warns you, he brings down the mighty. He sends away the rich empty and he scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And so as we end the sermon today, if I've read this song with any accuracy, like if you and I are reading this song and we're hearing this song together with any sort of accuracy, there ought to be a couple of things that are responding in our hearts. You ought to feel both confronted and encouraged. Like simultaneously, if you're reading this song the right way, it ought to feel confronting and encouraging. Here, here's what I mean. All week long, I felt so confronted on the pride in my own heart. And maybe you're that way too. Like pride is now showing up as you, as you read this. Pride is showing up in ways you're like, ah, I wish it wasn't there, but you don't want to admit it because that's what it means to be prideful, right? But maybe just a few questions to help you diagnose where pride is showing up in your heart. The first question would be this. Where in your life have you grown prayerless? Where in your life do you, like, you just feel confident, you feel strong, you feel able, you've got it together, and you just don't pray about those areas of your life. There's other areas you pray about, but there's other areas that you're prayerless in. What are those areas? Because prayerlessness is next to pridefulness. Where you're failing to pray is where you don't see God's need for help. It's an area of pride, right? Maybe the second question. Where in your life, where in your life do you find yourself quickly defensive against any kind of critical word or feedback? Anytime there's a critique or constructive feedback, where do you find yourself quickly defensive? Where do you find yourself having a quickened pulse when someone kind of mentions a word of, of less than perfect toward you? Because where there's hyper defensiveness is an area where there's lots of pride because you're seeking to self-prove and self-protect. This one stings me. And so I'm thinking maybe the final one. Where in your life, where in your life are you more concerned with outward appearance, how people see you to be, than who you actually are in your thoughts and in your motives? See, outward appearance only goes so far because God sees the heart. God sees the heart. And outward appearance is often just, just a veil for pride. Just a veil for pride. And so, man, this stings, doesn't it? Like, I know as I sorted through these own questions in my own life, as I was reading through this passage, knowing that God is opposed to the proud, I felt like I had to ask myself these questions to know, where is Mary's song calling me to repent and join her to sing too? And so I'm confronted. But on the other side, and where we end this morning, is this song ought to also encourage you. 
So for, for anyone here today, and wherever in your life you're willing to repent of pride and humble yourself before the Lord, what this song is telling you is you have a God who stands for you, a really big God, a holy, powerful, merciful God who stands for you. And I love this. One of the beautiful things about Mary's song that flips the whole flips this whole world on its head and and shows the unique dynamic of the kingdom of God is this, that when Mary sings, lowliness, dependence, humility, and need, we typically think about those things in terms of lament. Like this would be a lament song, but that's not what this is. This is a song where Mary is soaring. This is a song of triumph. Notice back in verse 46, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit greatly rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. And for behold, from now into all generations, they will call me blessed. So you read this passage, you read the biblical narrative, you read the gospel in lowliness, humility, neediness, dependence. Mary is soaring in these things, saying that's where you triumph with God. So if you're walking in today, and maybe you're at a place where like, you just need God to show up, and you're begging, you're calling out, you know you've got nothing. If he doesn't show up, you've got nothing. If that's where you are, hear what Mary sings over you. Hear what's true in the gospel for you. God's looking on you, even though it may not seem so. He's exalting you, even though it may not feel so. He's filling you, even though it may feel like you're empty right now. Hang on. He's also helping you. He's also helping you. What's true in the Christian life when we're seeking for a breakthrough, when we're seeking to sing a song of what Mary is singing, say, God, you really do help those who are calling out for you. Even though it doesn't feel like it, you keep walking, you keep hanging on because what's true is he's actually holding you more than you think he is. What's true about all of God's people, even Mary, is he preserves you more than you persevere. That's 100% true. So the lowly of heart, the humble, the servant, the one who knows they have nothing apart from him, they are championed by God and he will not turn his back. He soars for them. He soars for you if you come to him. I want to end with Mary's words in 49. For he who is mighty, hear this church. For he who is mighty has done great things for me because of the gospel Mary's song becomes ours. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy, holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Amen.